I've uh, experienced an unusual and surprisingly um, emotional morning from just the moment I came in this morning, saw many of you who I've known for many years, um, sang these songs that we sang this morning, uh, particularly Mighty Fortress and, and God's goodness to local churches. Uh, so thanks for having me. And this is a very poorly planned meeting to do all of that before I got up here and preached. <laughs> one, of my, uh, one of my great joys as I have the privilege of visiting churches is to sit down with your pastors and hear them brag about you all. Uh, not themselves. Uh, these are humble men, as you know. But just their excitement, their love, their affection, their joy in you all. It's, it's just such, such a privilege to hear that, knowing the sincerity um, with which it comes and um, the reality that it expresses. Um, so uh, I, I just can't thank you enough for being the church that you are, seeing some of the faces that I've known for 28 years. Um, I, I just want to add my thanks from Sovereign Grace. Uh, I thought just before I came up here prophetically, uh, this, this passage from 1 Corinthians 15 that I think so encapsulates um, who you are as a local church. Um, some of you have been here for a long time. Some of you have just been here, but no matter how long you've been here, um, you're, you're coming into something that God is doing. So uh, at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, the chapter on the resurrection and our hope for eternity, what we're really living for in life that has its ups and downs and struggles and sufferings, uh, Paul writes there at the end, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Thanks for being a church that's been steadfast and immovable and has always and continues to abound in the work of the Lord and please know from God's word, your labor has not been and will never be in vain. So thank you to the Lord and thanks to you for just the, the church that you are and have been. And I have no idea how I'm now going to transition <laughs> to preaching God's word. Um, Maybe I'll think of something dumb I did in the past and that'll get me sober. I have plenty of options. <laughs> well, uh, some of you know my story, a lot of you don't. I got saved reading a fake Bible. Now, let me explain that. Um, I was raised Roman Catholic 
And uh, at 28 years of age, uh, I had literally never opened up a Bible and read a single word in my entire life. And uh, one night, lying in bed, just minding my own business, my wife Jane finished reading this, this book that at the end had this suggested sinner's prayer, which um, she prayed, and God saved her that night. And I remember her just, you know, telling me about it, and I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And, uh, but what, what I now would know as God's just pr- process of drawing me to himself, I began to uh, just be concerned that I was going to go to hell. So I wasn't concerned about Jesus or the gospel or anything like that. It was just, I didn't want to go to hell. It was totally selfish. And uh, so she had, she had mentioned this term that, again, literally, I'd never heard. Uh, it was the term born again. And uh, so I thought, well, I better, I better, I guess, read the Bible to figure this thing out. But I didn't own a Bible, never read a Bible. All I had, all we had was uh, this paperback New Testament, good news for modern man. Some of you might be familiar with it, stick figure drawings of Jesus, Jesus stick figure doing this and doing that everywhere. And uh, I remember, I, I don't know where to start, so Matthew, yeah, Mark, Luke. Got to John chapter 3, and when I read those words, you must be born again, uh, I was. That was just the, the moment where the Holy Spirit uh, regenerated me. And that, that experience that I had, I remember quickly going and buying a real Bible, uh, but that experience that I had really started for me a lifelong love affair with God's work. Uh, when I think about this book, not just the contents, but the fact that I actually possess it, that, that I have it, I, I just, I've never gotten over it. Uh, I'm 68 years old, and uh, I still feel like I'm just scratching the surface. And one of my greatest frustrations at this point in life is that there is so much more I want to know and so much more I want to study, and I'm just praying that God will give me the years to just be able to continue to dive in and learn and, and absorb and, and study. There is just so much more that I want to learn. But in my 30-plus uh, years as a pastor, I've learned that it's unwise to assume that we're all in the same place. I think it can be very easy for Christians, sincere, devoted, dedicated Christians, uh, that the Bible can just become too taken for granted uh, to us, uh, too commonplace, too mundane, and as a result, too often neglected by sincere Christians. Uh, Bible reading stats uh, are concerning. Uh, I read recently a stat of regular church-going people, people just like you all, that only 45%, less than 50%, only 45% of regular churchgoers read their Bible more than once a week. And that 27% of regular churchgoers never read their Bible. 
And the statistics are, are skewing constantly worse uh, as the stats get younger and younger. Uh, so, uh, I want to just talk about your Bible this morning. I want to talk about what you have in your Bible. Uh, because because th- this, this is my heart for this message. This is my heart for local churches, for you. That nothing, nothing is more important to your spiritual health and well-being than your regular reading, studying, and application of God's word, the scriptures. Nothing. Nothing is more important than that to your family. And to a very large degree, nothing is more important than that to this local church than that you be a people, individuals, who love, treasure, read, study, and apply God's word in your life. That you be Bible people. And to that end, I want to read a very familiar passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, I think, again, sometimes the very familiarity can cause us to just blink by what we never want to blink by. So first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Paul writing to his disciple Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Father, I thank you how you've already met us this morning. And now I pray that you continue to meet us through the preaching of your word. And no matter where we are in our love for reading of, application of scripture, uh, I pray that you would just inspire and encourage and strengthen our dedication and devotion to your word. Uh, That can't happen without you, Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to continue to be at work in us, uh, in me, that I might accurately and rightly preach your word, and in your precious people, that they might hear with their ears, their minds, and their very hearts. Father, I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I want to start by just unpacking what it was that we just read. Some of the most uh, important words in all of Scripture to help us understand what we actually have in Scripture. And then just at the, at the end, just some brief application. So 
Uh, let, let's just use this passage to help us to understand what we really have here. Sitting in your laps or, I wouldn't recommend this, but on your phones. First of all, um, we read here that God's word is inspired. Um, not, not just inspiring, but inspired. That all scripture is breathed out by God. That, that God himself has spoken the words of scripture. Uh, Peter kind of elaborates on how this happened, that through the Holy Spirit, God enabled men to write scripture, to write your Bibles. And so in 2 Peter 1.21, uh, Peter writes, For no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it just wasn't people sitting down and writing their best religious thoughts, but the Holy Spirit was actually, God was speaking, God the Holy Spirit was speaking to men, enabling them to write Scripture. Now, uh, especially I think if you've been a Christian for a long time, but maybe just you're new as a Christian and you wonder what do you have here, I think it's so easy to overlook that very fundamental statement about God's Word. What we have in our Bibles are the very words of God to man. Not, not just some words, not just some big ideas, but the where, very words of God, all the words. Every uh, uh every the, every and, every of, everything in your Bible are the very words of God. Now let, let's just take a moment to think about that. Let's just take a moment to let that uh, sink in. What you have in your lap open before you are the very words of God. That should be a statement when we think about it that should evoke awe in each and every one of us. Uh, it, sh it should evoke wonder, uh, joy, gratitude, humility, that the, that the, that the creator God, the, the just and holy God, has spoken to sinful, rebellious people like us, has chosen to reveal himself to us in ways that we can access and understand. Um, that's, that's an amazing thing. Uh, many of you have probably played the icebreaker game. Uh, if you could sit down and have dinner with any three people, living or dead, who would those three people be? And uh, usually the answer I find from people is that they're people that, uh, that you want to ask questions of. You know, you want to you want to pick their brains. You want to you want to draw out what's in there. You want to you want to talk to them. That's why you want to have dinner uh, with them. Well, think about this. Y your Bible is like being able to sit down to dinner every single day with God, and ask Him questions, and 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 learn what He thinks, and 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 talk to Him. Jonathan Lehman, in his book Word Centered Church, said this. 
God's word is an extension of himself. His identity, purposes, affections, and power. In fact, God so identifies with his word that to hear his word that comprise the whole Bible is to hear him. To obey his words is to obey him. To ignore his words is to ignore him. He so identifies himself with his words that our response to his words is our response to him. We have the very words of God. All of scripture, every single word is breathed out by God. It's the very words of God. Uh, As a result, um, the word that you have is inerrant. That's just a fancy word that means it contains no errors. And that's important to us because because it contains no errors, we can know that the Bible that you have is wholly true in every single detail. Wholly true, every detail. Even down, like I've said, to the very words that, you, that are used. And that's important for this. You can have 100% confidence in uh, your Bible that you have the very words of God. Now, uh, if you really think about it, that makes complete sense, doesn't it? If God is going to reveal, if an all-powerful God is going to reveal himself to us, we can be certain, couldn't we, that he's going to do so clearly, that he's going to do so accurately, and he's going to do so effectually. In other words, it's going to have the, the chosen effect. We can be confident in that, can't we? Um, how many of you have ever had bad cell phone reception? You know, you've just been somewhere and it's so frustrating and you're trying to, to hear somebody. Um, but what if we had bad Bible reception? So you're just trying to talk to God and, what, God, you say I'm a winner? No, no, you're a sinner. You know, Jesus waves. Well, hi, back to him. Hi, Je- you know. No, Jesus saves. It, it, it's important, isn't it, that if God is going to communicate to us, he do it in a way that is clear and accurate and effectual. And that's exactly what he did. Now, listen, there are things in the Bible that are hard to understand, aren't they? Uh, I don't get the Trinity. I don't get the incarnation, how God could become man fully, God fully. I don't, I don't know how that worked. Um, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. I don't, I don't get that. Um, there are things that the Bible doesn't speak to. God never explains why there's evil in the world. I think the number one theological question, where did evil come from? Why is there evil? God doesn't choose to explain that to us. So there are things hard to understand. There are things that aren't spoken to. But there there are no contradictions. There are no errors. God's word to us is inerrant. And not only as originally given, but we can be confident many, many years later from Genesis, which you're wonderfully studying all the way down to the book of Revelation, that God is going to guard his revelation to us down through the ages. Uh, There are many things that Jesus said that in the 70s dialect are mind-blowing, aren't they? But I I think one of the most mind-blowing things that he said had to do with with, with scripture itself. Now, just think about this. Think who Jesus was in the time in which he lived. So uh, he's this itinerant carpenter, preacher guy with this band of kind of loser, nobody disciples 
fishermen and 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 um, and uh, tax collectors. Yeah, thank you, Matthew. Tax collectors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and and they're in this Roman nothing backwater town. No tapes. Nobody's writing these things down. You know. So just think about that for a moment. And then listen to these words. Matthew twenty four thirty five. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. If you're sitting there with Jesus, would you have been thinking, Jesus, you're a dope. Uh, nobody's going to remember your words next week. But all these many centuries later, his words haven't passed away. They've passed down to us through the centuries in a way that is 100% without error. It's inerrant. God's word is infallible. Now, I think oftentimes people confuse inerrant with infallible. They don't mean the same thing. Infallible means that God's word will accomplish the purpose for which he gave it to us without fail. That God's word will never fail you. That if you base your life on what is written in this book, that if you choose to base your life on God's word, if you do that, uh, if you take God's word at his word, it will never fail you. You will never find, even for one instant, that by following God's word, somehow it led you down the wrong path, it led you to failure, never. God's word is infallible, it will never fail you. God's word, because of all of this, is authoritative because it is God's word. Uh, one man said it this way, it has the right supremely to define what we're to believe and how we're to conduct ourselves. It has the right because it's God's word to supremely, above everything else, define what we're to believe and how we are to conduct ourselves. In other words, our lives as Christians are to be governed by the book. Uh, this book makes demands of you. Uh, this book, you have an obligation to this book. It's, it's not just stories that are interesting or things that are inspiring. Uh, it's far more than that. It's not some self-help book that many have reduced it to, sadly, that you can just uh, pick and choose a few tips from uh, that are going to help you uh, to, to live a happier or a better life. No, no, no. It is, it is far more than that. It has, it has authority over your lives. It has the right to define everything that you believe. And it has the right to tell you how it is that you are to live your lives. Christopher Ash, in his little book, uh, Why You Listen, said this, no part of the Bible is there simply to inform us or for our interest only. Always it calls us to turn to God, perhaps in a changed belief, a refreshed delight. I love that particular phrase in this quote. 
Because um, th- there are, when, when we read the scriptures, especially if you've been doing it for a long time, you just find God just keeps circling you around to these delightful truths that maybe you hadn't thought about in a while and just, once again, just wonderfully refreshes your soul. A fresh delight or a new behavior or an altered value system. God's word has authority. And then God's word uh, is all sufficient for us. In verse 15, you'll notice he calls them the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. Now salvation in scripture doesn't just reference to that moment of your entrance uh, into Christianity. It doesn't just mean that time where you were dead and now you are alive again, where you were blind and now you see, where you were enslaved and now you're free. The moment of conversion. Salvation speaks to much more than that. Salvation speaks about every moment from that conversion till the moment you die and your body's raised on the last day and throughout all eternity. Salvation is included in all of that. So to be wise for salvation means far more than, well, the Bible tells you how you can get saved. It means, it tells you how you can, once saved, how you can walk out that life uh, in every aspect of uh, that life, how you can grow, how you can mature uh, as a Christian. Um, so scripture is sufficient in the sense is that, in, in, that it, re, it contains everything that is required for your salvation in matters of faith and matters of practice. What, what you believe and, and, and what you do. Um, Bible's not a science book. It's not intended to be that. It's not intended to be a math text or a history textbook. Uh, that's not what it's for. Um, uh, we need no other source than the scripture. We don't need traditions, although thank God for history. Uh, we don't need the social sciences. We don't need psychology. As charismatics, we don't even need, we're grateful for, but we don't even need prophecy. In addition to uh, the word of God, nothing else is required in conjunction with the word of God to make us wise for salvation. It is sufficient. We, we just cannot allow ourselves to buy into the argument that, well, modern problems are too complex, too different for a book this old to address. That, that is simply not true. God's, God's word is timeless. It is sufficient for Abraham and Adam and Eve and David and the prophets and Paul, and it's sufficient for us today. Nothing needs to be added to it. And the results of its sufficiency is that it's profitable to us. Some translations say useful or beneficial. That the end result of this inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient word is that it profits us. It's useful to us. John Stott says... If we hope to overcome error and grow in truth, to overcome evil and grow in holiness, it is to Scripture that we must go, for Scripture is profitable for these things. So he lists these these four areas in particular where Scripture is profitable. It's profitable for teaching. In other words, for just imparting knowledge to us. There's stuff that we don't know that we need to know. 
Um, we need to know what God's like. We need to know what God expects of us. Uh, we need to know what we can expect to him, of him. We need to know how we can relate with him. And I, Matthew mentioned this morning uh, in, in his comments during our singing, um, we, we don't naturally get those things or naturally understand those things. In fact, naturally, we mess it up every single time. Uh, so we need God to teach us. Uh, it's profitable for reproof or, or some uh, passage, some, uh, yes, yeah, say, rebuking. Um, sometimes we just need a good talking to, don't we? How many of you ever in your life have ever needed a good talking to? Either you're reluctant to raise your hand or you're a liar. Every one of us, or maybe you're deceived, I won't. Um, every one of us at times, we just need a good talking to, don't we? Well, the Bible does that for us. It gives us a good talking to when we need it. Um, it, it helps convict us as sinners. It helps warn us uh, as sinners when we're, when we're going astray. Um, it exposes the, the, the false ideas or, or, or the ungodly conduct that we have. It, it profits us in, in those ways. Uh, we read in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrows and discerning the thoughts of intentions of our heart. It gets just right down into the very core of our being. Uh, Jeremiah 23.29 uh, God writes, is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock to pieces. Now, I remember, I, I remember this scripture because when I was younger, I was working a construction job, and one day I was, I was uh, building concrete forms, forms that you pour concrete in. And, and so I had spent the entire day with a big framing hammer, 22-ounce framing hammer, just nailing nails. It was hot. And after a while, you're just like, yeah, one day, one day, one day. And so I, when I was hitting, I bashed, my, I hit my thumb as hard as I possibly could. And literally, I went blind for 10 seconds. It's like, the, every, every, I guess there was so much pain that my brain just shut down and everything went completely black. I thought, oh my God, I hit my thumb and I'm blind. Um, but it got my attention. And you know what? To this day, I have never hit myself with a hammer again. Uh, I learned my lesson. That's what God's word can do for us. Sometimes we're just going along and just, just routine and all of a sudden, man, the word of God hits us and we, and, and we don't go blind, but we, we actually see it has the opposite effect on us. That, oh my God, I have been believing the wrong things. I've been doing the wrong things. And that's, that's a gift of God to us, isn't it? So reproof and rebuking for correction. Uh, this is a little different. To correct means to restore to an upright position. So when, when, we, when we start kind of leaning over, when we start kind of getting out of plumb, the Bible restores us to an upright position. Uh, I, I love GPS on our phones now, don't you? I mean, remember when you used to, and many of you probably don't, might have to explain what a map actually is, but they used to have these paper things called maps where you'd actually open it up and it had pictures of states and roads and you'd have to figure out where to go yourself. And, uh, 
Uh, but now GPS on the phone, so you can, you can just find anything. But one of the things I don't like about GPS is, like, if, if you go off the road, then it, they yell at you. So you're going on a trip, and, and you have to go to the bathroom. And so you just pull off, and immediately, um, make a U-turn at so-and-so, rerouting, uh, recalculating. And, they, and, they, and come on. I'm not imagining this. The voice starts to get irritated <laughs> the farther you go, doesn't it? And, don't, and I find myself talking back to it. Like, make a U-turn. I'm just going to the bathroom. Shut up! But the blessing of it is, it's, it's trying to get me back on the right road. That's what the Bible does for us. It corrects us. It gets us back on the right road road once again. So it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and then training in righteousness. Training in righteousness means just practical wisdom that we need for life, uh, just to live life. It's a word that's often used for training children, that, there, that there's just this practical wisdom we, we need to learn for life. And the result of all of this is that we become competent. Now, when I hear the word competent, I tend to think barely able to get by. Yeah, he's, he's competent. Um, like competent is a C. Um, but when, when the Bible uses the word competent, it doesn't mean barely able to get by. It means A plus. That, that the Bible enables us to live in an A-plus way, um, thoroughly equipped, complete, able to meet every demand, uh, fully equipped for every good work. That's what competent really means here. So uh, we, we have this, this glorious word of God, uh, God's very words to us that are profitable to us. But there's one phrase we, we, we must see in, in verse 15. Did you notice? Able to make us wise for salvation through faith. Simply reading the words on a page um, is, is not going to make you grow. You got to believe what it is you're reading. And biblical believing always means that you actually apply it, that you do something about it. So so the, the, your Bibles are profitable as you believe, biblically believe, trust, and do something about it. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the Israelites, and he says about them, um, the message they heard was of no value to them uh, because they did not combine it with faith. So you can hear preaching, you can read your Bibles, you can study, but if you're not believing it, and acting on it, it will be of no value to you. Um, I, I, I really think by grace through faith, it's, it's the way the entire Christian life works. Um, if, if we're going to get the grace of God, God's, God's power to us, it's going to come through faith. And so there's this, there's this process that we read about in the Word of God. First of all, there's God's Word, and we hear it which can include reading, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we got word of God, we hear it, 
we believe it, and then uh, grace comes to us through faith. We, we, we receive God's grace when we believe what it is that God tells us. And so the profit of God's word to us is when we believe it, it's through faith. So that's God's word. That's what we have. That's just a kind of a simple explanation of what we have here. So uh, let, let me finish by uh, just making a very simple application. Look, look back there in verse 14. First thing that Paul says to Timothy in regard to God's word. But as for you, continue. But as for you, continue. In other words, never, ever, ever move on from it. Don't let the busyness of life, and life does get busy. Don't let laziness, don't let familiarity, don't let discouragement or anything else ever keep you from continuing in the word of God. Now, at this point in the message, I have to speak to young moms. You are in an unusual season of life. I know so many moms get discouraged. I can't read the Bible like I want to. I can't. Uh, I just appreciate it. God has given you a task for your child. So read a sentence a day. Just do something, you know. But don't, don't allow yourself to be discouraged uh, by your motherhood. You're, you're doing something wonderful for God. But for all of us, we need to continue, which basically means... Um, Read, study, and apply your Bibles um, regularly and systematically. And uh, hear God's word preached regularly and systematically, which is, praise God, what you're going to get right here at Kingsway Church Sunday after Sunday. And then apply what you hear. Now, I can almost be sure in a group of this size, uh, people here are in different places. Uh, so some of you, uh, you, need, you need to start it up. You, you've just never developed a consistent habit of Bible reading and study. And you need to start it up. You don't need to be uh, condemned about what hasn't happened in the past. You, you, God's, I think God's given you a challenge, an opportunity today to say, okay, I'm going to start it up. I'm going I'm to dive in. I'm going I'm to read an entire book of the Bible every single day for the rest of my life. No, you're not. Um, you know what? I read one chapter a day in the Bible. That's it. Um, and I try to understand and apply what it is that I'm reading. So just get yourself started. Uh, some of you need to pick it up. You know, some of you may have been off to a good start, and then you, you kind of fell away, you slacked off, and you just need to get back to it. Sometimes it's hard to get back to something, isn't it? Uh, we just, th there's a... Um, uh, there's just an energy, a negative energy kind of, that just when we start going downhill, it's easy to keep going downhill where we got to stop ourselves. So some of you need to pick it up. Many of you, praise God, you just need to keep it up. Uh, thanks for your faithfulness. Thanks for um, the way you've, you've loved and treasured and read and applied God's word. Um, without knowing personally, I can almost guarantee that the men and women who have done that are making the greatest difference here in this church and will in the future. So uh, thank you so much for that. And then five challenges as you do that. Um, one, as, as you're reading, studying, and applying, just receive the scriptures with awe and gratitude. Never pick up your Bible and just, oh, I gotta read my Bible. Just, whenever you pick it up, just, just let this thought, I'm about to read or hear 
the very words of God to me. Um, actively seek to know and obey the commands of God. What's, what's in here that God's trying to tell me I need to do this? Uh, actively seek to know and believe the promises of God. Because this word is full of promises to you uh, about your, your, your life and eternity. Uh, actively evaluate your life based on the standards of God. You know, am I off or am I down the middle? And then actively diagnose your problems based on the wisdom of God. You know, as we face, and we all face different situations or circumstances in our lives, how are we making decisions? Are we doing that based on the wisdom of God? I love what the Puritan Thomas Watson said. He said, take every word as spoken to yourselves. When the word of God thunders against sin, think thus, God means my sin. When it presseth any duty, God intends me in this. Many put off scripture from themselves as if it only concerned those who lived in the time when it was written. But if you intend to profit by the word, bring it home to yourselves. A medicine will do no good unless it is applied. Let me finish with this. Um, I have, over the past th three years now almost, uh, I've been transitioning out of the lead pastor or the senior pastor role at Crossway in Charlotte. Uh, we have a wonderful team of, of young pastors, and I just felt in my heart of hearts, even though I'm not ready to slow down, I just felt in my heart of hearts, these guys were ready and it was their time. And, and I, wanted to, I wanted to get out of the way and, and, and really let them fulfill what God had called them to. So um, we made uh, the uh, announcement official in January of 2017. And, and the guys asked me to do kind of a transitional message uh, at that time, not a, not a final sermon. Uh, if somebody asks you a final sermon, you've got to think, well, do they know something I don't know? Um, it wasn't a final sermon, but it was just kind of, as, as I'm transitioning out of senior pastor, what were the things that I would most want to say to the church? And there were four things in, in the message. Um, they weren't completely lacking, just things I wanted to see them grow in. But the first and most important one, the first point was this, be bibline. You're thinking, bibline? Um, bibline's an old word, but I really like it. Uh, I looked it up in the dictionary, and it's not even in there. So it might not even be a word. <laughs> but if it's not, it ought to be a word. Um, it's a word that some of the old writers uh, used. When the old writers used it, the word bibline meant to be Bible-saturated. That my heart for Crossway, my heart for Kingsway, my heart for Christians is not just, yeah, I have a Bible, yeah, I read the Bible, yeah, I hear preaching. But our lives would be Bible-saturated. That our lives would be bibline. That we just lived and breathed and, and it just came out of our pores, um, Scripture itself. That we'd be bibline. That we'd be a people who love God's Word, who treasure God's Word, who read God's word, and who live by God's word. Oh, brothers and sisters, 
let us be known as a people and as a church. When people think of Kingsway, when they think of you, they think, even though they don't even know the word, I don't know how to explain it, but I think that person's bibline. They're Bible-saturated. It just comes out of them in everything they do. Amen? Father, that's my prayer for this church. That's my prayer for me. I pray that you would grant us these graces, especially to this wonderful and precious church. Father, for those who have struggled in this area, I do pray they'd get started. They'll never regret what a joy it'll be to them. For those who have fallen off, I pray they'd pick it up, um, not letting the discouragement and condemnation keep them back. And then for those who have just done well over the years, uh, that they would keep it up and that this church, through preaching, through reading, uh, they'd be known as the people who uh, the Bible just saturates everything that it is they do. And I pray all of these things trusting in you, in Jesus' name, amen.